We have two scripture passages tonight. I'm going to reference a number of others, but our uh, two scripture passages for tonight. Old Testament scripture passage is Psalm 104. It can be found in your pew Bible on page 940. Psalm 104, page 940. Before we read, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, that you would bless the reading and preaching of your word. Help us to see the great comfort of providence. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Psalm 104. Praise the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He set the earth on its foundations that can never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains, but at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the air nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. Wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains his heart. The trees of the Lord are well watered, The cedars of Lebanon that he planted, there the birds make their nests. The stork has its home in the pine trees. The high mountains belong to the wild goats. The crags are a refuge for the conies. The moon marks off the seasons and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. The man goes out to his work, to his labor until evening. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and the Leviathan which you formed to frolic there. These all look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. 
But may sinners vanish from the earth, and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 to 31, Pew Bible, page 1,511. Jesus sending out his 12 disciples, speaking to them and saying, So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Let's follow the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. I want you to imagine with me that you are on an airplane. And on this airplane, you begin to experience some turbulence. Then the lights in the cabin flicker. The oxygen masks drop down. And you hear over the intercom the captain speaking. Attention, everyone. Please don't panic. We are experiencing a complete engine failure. We're going down and we'll have to make an emergency landing. And by the way, I've never done this before, and I've not been trained for this. I'm not in control right now, and I'm very uncertain if I will be able to land this plane safely. But please, don't panic. Wouldn't bring much comfort, would it? But let's imagine that same scenario... And the captain comes over the intercom, and he says, Attention, we're going down, and we will have to make an emergency landing. But I want you to know, I'm in complete control, and I've been trained extensively for this very scenario. And I'm very confident we will be able to land this plane safely. Don't panic. Now, that's a little bit more comforting, isn't it? Well, the uh, analogy breaks down a bit. But the doctrine of providence is essentially, when you boil it all down, the concept that everything that has been created is an airplane. And you and I, we're on this airplane called creation, called the world, called the universe, called existence. And God is the captain of this airplane. And although it may seem like things are out of control, there's turbulence, and the oxygen masks are coming down, which by the way, nowadays when you have to wear masks on an airplane, do you have to take that off to put the oxygen mask on? I haven't, I don't know what the scenario is now, but it looks like 
we're having complete engine failure. And the plane is going to have to go down. And we're going to need to make an emergency landing. But the reality is, God is in control. And not a single thing happens in this universe that we are picturing as a jet aeroplane. That God has not ordained to happen. That catches God off guard. That surprises Him. And everything that God has ordained to happen and to come about and to occur is good. Because the God who ordained it to occur is good. So that means that we passengers of this experiment, experience called creation, called existence. We don't need a panic. Because God's the captain. So, our theme tonight God's sovereign and righteous rule comforts us in every season. And circumstance. And we have four points tonight. The first is God rules over all things. The second is an extension upon the first point. God rules over all things, even sin. The third point is we can't comprehend or condemn. And the fourth is what great comfort. Let's start with this first point that we have. Um, the, the first thing that we... Oh, oh, that reminds me. Aren't we looking at the Belgic Confession? I got ahead of myself. I was so excited about that analogy that I came up with. Probably not the first person to come up with it, by the way. All right, we're looking at Article 13 in the Belgic Confession. Knights found in the back of your Psalter hymnals on page, it says page 72, but I don't think that's right. Page 75. Article 13, XIII. Providence of God and his government of all things. We believe that the same God, or the same good God, after he had created all things, did not forsake them or give them up to fortune or chance, 
but that he rules and governs them according to his holy will, so that nothing happens in this world without his appointment. Nevertheless, God neither is the author of nor can be charged with the sins which are committed. For his power and goodness are so great and incomprehensible that he orders and executes his work in the most excellent and just manner, even then when devils and wicked men act unjustly. And as to what he does surpassing human understanding, we will not curiously inquire into farther than our capacity will admit of. But with the greatest humility and reverence, adore the righteous judgments of God, which are hid from us, contenting ourselves that we are pupils of Christ, to learn only those things which he has revealed to us in his word, without transgressing these limits. This doctrine affords us unspeakable consolation, since we are taught thereby that nothing can befall us by chance, but by the direction of our most gracious and heavenly Father, who watches over us with a paternal care, keeping all creatures so under his power that not a hair of our head, for they are all numbered, nor a sparrow can fall to the ground without the will of our Father, in whom we do entirely trust, being persuaded that he so restrains the devil and all our enemies that without his will and permission they cannot hurt us. And therefore we reject that damnable error of the Epicureans who say that God regards nothing but leaves all things the chance. Now we're to our first point. God rules over all things. Psalm 104 was read to express this very doctrine. The doctrine of God's sovereign and righteous rule. God's rule is exhaustive. That means that there isn't a part of creation or any creature that is not ruled by God. It is a comprehensive, exhaustive sovereignty that God has over his creation. And Psalm 104 goes to explain this as a reason for giving praise to God. The beginning and the ending of the psalm begins with praise the Lord Oh, my soul. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Praise the Lord. Why should we praise this Lord? Because this Lord is unlike any of the other gods of the pagans in the days that the psalmist wrote this psalm. This Lord is God over all. In those days, the pagan deities would be landlocked. You had the gods of the Canaanites, and you had the gods of the Philistines, and, and what was true was uh, what they said about these gods is, These gods were only powerful within their own land boundaries and with their own people. And so Psalm 104 goes and and says, actually God made everything. And if you really think about it, down to the very exhaustive detail of God grows the grass that the cows eat so that mankind can then eat the cows, on and on and on. One of the passages, clips, in this psalm. is that God puts the moon in the sky to mark the seasons so that the sun knows when to go down. God is the one that brings darkness. 
I thought the darkness comes because we go on the other side of the earth and the sun is no longer in our view. No, this psalm says that God does that. He's exhaustively in control over these details. And the beasts of the forest come out to prowl. The sun rises and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens so that man can go out through his work, his labor. The earth is full of God's creatures. The sea, the earth, the sky. All this Genesis language coming from this psalm is communicating this point. God rules over all things. If he rules over the grass that grows so the cows can eat, what that means is that he rules over us. He rules over all things. And the Article 13 of the Belgian Confession begins with this statement, God rules over all things. We believe that the same good God, after he had created all things, did not forsake them or give them up to fortune or chance. God did not get the ball rolling with creation and then leave it. But that he rules and governs them according to his holy will. So that nothing happens in this world without his appointment. Now I want you to understand. Scripture lays this out. The Belgian Confession says we confess this. We believe it in our heart and confess it with our mouth. It does not say that most things happen in this world by God's appointment. It does not say that some things happen in this world by God's appointment. It says that all things happen in this world by God's appointment. When it says nothing happens in this world without God's appointment, what it's saying is nothing. That's what exhaustive means. And you get that sense from Psalm 104. All the details that the psalmist is giving about what God does to make our days go from light to dark. That even the lions look to God for their food. That even the grass, God is the one growing it so that the cows can eat. That this God is very great, clothed with splendor and majesty, wraps himself in light with a garment, stretches out the heavens like a tent, lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters, makes the clouds his chariot, rides on the wings of the wind, makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He's the one that set the earth on its foundations. God is ruling over all things. He has not left things to fortune or chance. And that's why we say God's sovereign and righteous rule comforts us in every season. Because if it is true, if it's only true, 
that God rules over most things or some things or certain things, how is that a comfort? It can only be a comfort if you know that all things that come to you, the Heidelberg Catechism says, come to you not by chance, but by God's fatherly hand. Because in our finite understanding and ability to grasp things, if something occurs to us, if something happens to us, and only some things happen to us by God's appointment, only certain things happen to us by God's appointment, then we can never know what those things are. But thanks be to God, he does not leave it up to that. He informs us, he tells us in his word that all things happen to us in this world by his appointment. And you're saying, Carrie, you really mean all things? I mean, there's lots of bad things that happen in this world. There's lots of bad things that happen to people, to us. And that's why the Belgian Confession of Faith continues on to say, Nevertheless, God neither is the author of nor can be charged with the sins. Not the author or committer of sin. God is not guilty of sin, nor is he the author of sin. This is important because I'm going to make a very simple distinction here. But it is a very important distinction. God is not the author of sin, but he is the author of the potential for sin. And the reason I say that is because I told you that nothing happens in this creation, on this airplane that we're on, by chance, but all things happen by appointment. So it was not a surprise to God when Adam and Eve fell in the garden. Nonetheless, God gave them free will, and they chose to rebel against God and go their own way. And that's why I say God is the author for the potential for sin, because God did not create where they could not sin. They were capable of sinning. Of choosing sin. And therefore, when humanity fell, Genesis to Revelation is full of mankind rebelling against God, sinning against God, 
being deserving of punishment, creating heinous, evil acts. And the rest of the history of mankind has been filled with much the same. And how are we supposed to understand God's sovereign and righteous rule in terms of all the evil that occurs in this world? Well, I've got two examples for you that I want you to have in your mind whenever this question comes up. Genesis 50, verse 15 through 20, and Acts 4, verse 25 through 28. Many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with Genesis 50, 50, 15 through 20. This is when Joseph's brothers beat him up, sold him into slavery, sent him off to Egypt... And then later they come and they discover now Joseph and God's providence has become the, the second in power, the vice president of, of, of Egypt. And, and Joseph, by being there, by God showing him in his dreams that, a, that a, a, a drought was coming and that they needed to save up grain, was able to save his family. And Jacob and all the brothers came down to live in, in the area of Goshen. And, and then Jacob, Joseph's father, died. And his brothers were worried that now that Jacob had passed away, Joseph would remember all the horrible things that his brothers had done to him. And so this is what they did. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. The actual Hebrew says, you intended it for evil. But God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. So, what we have here in the instance of Joseph is the brother's intentions. Evil. God's intentions. Good. Same act. In the providence of God, in God's sovereign decree, he determined that Joseph's brothers would be filled with jealous rage against him, that they would beat him, that they would talk about killing him and murdering him, but instead they would sell him as a slave and ship him off to Egypt. That's what Joseph's brothers intended. Evil. Same act. God intended it. All the mistreatment that Joseph would experience at the hands of his brothers. Being sold into slavery, being treated horribly, 
In Potiphar's house, being accused of the wrong that he did not do, being sent to prison, being placed in prison for many years, all that God intended in these things, good. And if you don't believe me on that point, then I simply go forward in redemptive history to Acts chapter 4. To what I would call is the most evil act in human history. The church following the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is in Jerusalem. Verse 25 to 28. They've just been beaten. Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. They're released. And they went back to the church to report all the things that had happened. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one, quoting from Psalm 2. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Once again, we have the intentions of Herod, Pilate, the Gentiles, and the Jews. What was their intention? They intended evil. They intended to get a man who was innocent of any crime nailed to a cross, killed as a criminal. That was their intention. It was evil. But what does God's word tell us in the prayers of the first century church? Herod, Pontius Pilate, met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed. And they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. God. In his sovereign and righteous rule, ordained that Herod, Pilate, the Gentiles, and the Jews would seek to crucify the Lord Jesus Christ. The only innocent man who's been convicted and killed for a crime he did not commit. Truly innocent. Like I said, I would call that the most wicked act of human history. What they intended was evil. And if Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the Jews did not repent of crucifying an innocent man, of taking the Lord of glory and hanging him on a cross, they're going to hell. But God intended this to happen so that through 
the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Gentiles and the Jews could have salvation. And so then you ask me, how is it that God's sovereign and righteous rule, even over sin, can be something that comforts us in every season and circumstance because God has shown us that's what he does. That when something bad happens to us, that even when we stumble and fall and sin, that is under God's sovereign control, and he's doing it with holy, good intentions. Let's not give us a license to sin, of course. All right. Next point. Comprehend or condemn. We can't comprehend or condemn. The Belgian Confession continues. It says, For his power and goodness are so great and uncomprehensible that he orders and executes his work in the most excellent and just manner, even then when devils and wicked men act unjustly. That's what we pointed to in Genesis 50 and Acts 5, chapter 4. But it continues. And as to what he does, surpassing human understanding, we will not curiously inquire into farther than our capacity will admit of. That is, We can't know everything, nor will we attempt to know what has not been revealed to us. But with the greatest humility and reverence, adore the righteous judgments of God which are hid from us, contending ourselves that we are pupils of Christ, to learn only those things which he has revealed to us in his word without transgressing these limits. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29 the people of Israel confess these very things when they say, in the renewal of the covenant that they're making before they enter into the promised land, before Moses passes away and Joshua takes over, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. What that saying is that we may not know every detail about the things that God has ordained or why he's ordained them to happen or why they're occurring, but we can trust God's character. Remember, his power and goodness are so great and incomprehensible that he orders and executes his work in the most excellent and just manner, even when devils and wicked men act unjustly. And because we are limited... 
We, with the greatest humility and reverence, adore the righteous judgments of God, which are hid from us, contenting ourselves to be pupils of Christ and learn only those things which He has revealed to us in His Word without transgressing these limits. We can't comprehend, nor can we make judgments upon what God has deemed and decreed to happen. Why I say condemn is because there is a sinful kind of attitude that we can have when something happens. And we look to God and we say, God, why could you let this happen? Or, we look upon something that had happened and then we say something like this. Well, my God would never let that happen. All you're doing in situations and circumstances like that is that you are placing yourself in the seat of judge and you are judging the judge of all. If you think you can do a better job of running this whole thing, you're not thinking right. You're going right back to the garden. When God said, you shall not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan came and whispered into the ear of Eve and said, did he really say that? And what did Eve do that was so sinful? This is what she did. She said, well, God said this, and the serpent says this. I'm going to decide for myself. I'm going to make my own choice. I'm going to make my own choice about which one is better. Which one I'm going to listen to. She put herself in the seat of judge. What has God commanded? What has God ordained? When you read Romans 9, and you hear that God has always had his elect people, And God chooses whom he wants to save. And others he allows to receive his wrath and his judgment. And what's the answer that the retractor gives? The retractor, the one who's disagreeing with with Paul in this conversation. Well, read it. Romans 9 says... One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us for who resists his will? But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the object of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? Even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. And all this talk about God's sovereign and righteous rule 
about how God is the one who's the judge. God is the one who gets to choose. We don't get to look at God. We don't get to point at God and ask him why he does the things he does. We don't have access to the information that God has. What we can trust is that there's a morally sufficient reason for what God is doing because God is a good God, a just God, a righteous God. And all his intentions are good and for our good and for his glory. And all this talk that Paul has in Romans, it culminates in this doxology that that Paul gives in Romans chapter 11, verse 33 through 36. Oh, the depths of the reaches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And we end with this final point. The most important, I believe, of all because doctrine does no good if it does not change us. If it does not penetrate our hearts, if it does not benefit us, as the Heidelberg Catechism says, what great comfort. The Belgian Confession says, this doctrine affords us unspeakable consolation. Consolation is just another word for comfort. Since we are taught thereby that nothing can befall us by chance, but by the direction of our most gracious and heavenly Father. And I would not be surprised if the Lord's Day that we talk about providence in the Heidelberg Catechism pretty much just stole straight from the Belgic Confession. Because this sounds exactly like it. God is our Father. And he's a good, good father. And so this doctrine of providence is one that brings us consolation, comfort. Comfort to know that nothing can befall us by chance, but by the direction of our most gracious and heavenly father, who watches over us with maternal care. This is the comfort of God's sovereign and righteous rule that comforts us in every season, every circumstance. How have, you, have you ever thought about the many different choices that you make as you enter into your car, as you make this turn instead of that turn, as you go this way down this street instead of that street? Have you talked to somebody who's in an accident, who's been in an accident and said, well, I was thinking about going this way, but instead I decided to go this way, and that's why this car whose brakes broke ran into me. Is that a chance occurrence that that happened? Or is that in the sovereign and righteous rule of God? Is that happening to us by chance or by the direction of our most gracious and heavenly Father? What do you want in this world? Do you want this world to be full of randomness and chance? That things just happen to you because they happen to you and they don't mean anything and they're not for anything? Or do you want a 
exhaustively sovereign God who is ordering all events and circumstances and seasons in your life because he's your father and he loves you. He keeps all creatures so under his power that not a hair, not a sparrow, Now, I know some of you are thinking, it's not too hard to count my hairs now. And I'm getting there. Trust me. But what Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, when he tells them, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. They're all counted. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. It's to tell us that the Father so exhaustively cares for us and watches over us that he knows how many hairs we have on our head, in our arms, in our legs, in our backs, in our ears, and in our noses. We don't need to worry. And so we entirely trust this God. Being persuaded that he so restrains the devil and all our enemies that without his will and permission, they cannot hurt us. And so we go back to that that plane And we know that although things may seem like they're falling apart, that we're going to need to make an emergency landing. If we remember that God is the captain, if we remember that God is the one who rules the skies and the storms, If we remember that from this perspective, it's hard for us to see the tapestry that God is creating. But from the other side, we're going to see how he wove all these things and events together in our lives. That we can trust. We can trust God. And when we trust him, that's when his sovereign and righteous Rule becomes a comfort for us in every season and circumstance, good and bad. Because we realize that one of the great comforts of the doctrine of providence is a realization that we are not in control. And God is. And we're glad he is. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to see the doctrine of providence as a great comfort. We would help us to see that you are our most gracious and heavenly Father who watches over us with paternal care, keeping all creatures under your power, that not a hair of our head nor a sparrow could fall to the ground without your will.
And so, Lord, we do entirely trust you. And we're persuaded that you so restrain the devil and all our enemies that without your will and permission, they cannot hurt us. We ask, Lord, that you would help us in this year to come to be comforted by your sovereign and righteous rule in every season and circumstance that we find ourselves in. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.